Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today uh, is a tribute to Andy uh, Bunting uh, from uh, Neil Harvey. Uh, Obviously, uh, Andy had a tremendous impact on the squash community and unfortunately he uh, he passed away uh, last Monday due to complications of kidney failure and um, Neil comes on the podcast and uh, gives us uh, you know some some great stories about Andy his uh, his impact on the squash community over the years dating back all the way back to the you know, during his time uh, uh, when he started up uh, working with Prince as their international uh, sponsorship manager for badminton and squash, but also uh, he was a, a squash coach in, in Cambridge and had uh, impacted several uh, players over the years. And just what a, a good guy, what a, what a great person he was, a great family man. Uh, I didn't really... Uh, know much about Andy, although, you know, having followed the world squash scene for many years, uh, heard his name uh, come up here and there just in reference to, uh, obviously, with Prince, anyone connected with Prince, uh, his name invariably came up, and obviously when Peter Nichol uh, hit the scene as the world's number one, he was their, their main, uh, their, he was the Prince poster boy, basically, back in the, in the day. And um, uh, Andy was instrumental in uh, supporting uh, Peter over those years. Neil comes on and talks a lot about all of this uh, in a tribute to Andy. So I know uh, you'll enjoy this. Unfortunately, uh, we saw Andy pass away last week. And, and thank you uh, to Neil for providing us with this, uh, with this tribute to Andy Bunting on today's podcast. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, episode uh, 80 of the Squash uh, Podcast, In Squash Podcast, and uh, it's with a heavy heart in the squash community. Uh, uh, today's podcast episode, uh, we lost a, a, a valuable member of the community, a long-standing member, uh, last Monday uh, due to complications of uh, kidney uh, uh, failure. Uh, Andy Bunting, and uh, today on the podcast, uh, we have. Uh, Neil Harvey, uh, obviously we know Neil, uh, coach to uh, Peter Nickel for all those years and a great player uh, himself. Uh, Neil, thanks for coming on. And I know you have, uh, you know, you know, knew Andy uh, quite well. And uh, just like to uh, have you share your, uh, your thoughts uh, on what he meant to, to the squash community over the years. Well, it was a real privilege to have, um, work very closely with him, with not only with Peter in the early years, but, uh, also having seen the work he'd done with Rodney Isles and Rodney Martin. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was, he was very much uh, a two-career person, really. He was the marketing director for Dulux Paints. And then you couldn't get any more kind of diverse than going to be the marketing director for Prince International. And uh, from the very start, when I first met him, he was just a, a very, very down-to-earth um, very funny guy who just seemed to enjoy being around the squash uh, immensely, and he he brought a he brought a flavour to it that really made it probably one of the most professional uh, racket companies to be involved with, uh, mm. with the high level squash. Um, it, for me, his attention to detail with everything was just you know it was just immaculate, and he was uh, he was very much ahead of the game with with those things he would he would see things in advance and uh and and head those things off for you so that you could just literally concentrate on uh, on being with the players 
Um, and, and it was interesting because he would spend probably once every two weeks, he would come down from Cambridge to Connell, which is about an hour down the M11. And uh, he, he just would love to watch the players in action. I think he got great, uh, great joy out of being involved with it. And, um, you know, just, just love the sessions. But he always started every single hello off with a, with a joke. Ah, and, good. <laughs> uh, great, great sense of humor. Wonderful sense of humor. Well, uh, I mean, tributes came in uh, from the squash community from across several uh, generations, dating back to obviously you. You mentioned uh, you know Jahangir Khan had, uh, had had wonderful words to say all the way through to uh, um, Sam. I think Sam Todd even uh, commented on on it, uh, sent his tribute as well. So uh, spanning several generations now. Now, Neil, you probably knew him uh, from your playing days, and then, of course, during your your years with with Peter, because he was instrumental in uh, getting Peter started with, with Prince. So, maybe take yeah, a look. He, yeah, yeah, he was um, he was very involved with Cambridge squash as well, and um, he was a level four coach. Um, his probably his most famous student was Jeffrey Archer, the uh, the Tory MP and writer. Okay. And, um, so Andy did a bit of coaching uh, uh, as well, did he? He was very knowledgeable on the game. Okay. Um, and it was interesting because he, he could talk squash, but he would never, never sort of say anything uh, that was actually kind of squash orientated. It was much more business orientated. Um, he taught me very much to put your cards on the table and to have those very honest conversations as soon as you could um, mm. because it got... Uh, it got things out of the way. And then, you know, he was very much and very adamant that the players came first. And, um, you know, they were, they were able then to just really concentrate on, on the squash. And he made that, he made that so easy for us. Um, we travelled around the world together. And he was the person that rang me in the room in Hong Kong to tell me that Lady Diana had been in an accident in the, in the Paris oh. tunnel there. And we, I went to his room and we, we watched that story unfold together. And then um, probably the culmination for Andy was having, you know, supported Peter for, for probably seven or eight years with us uh, when Peter won the Worlds against the Barada in the final in Egypt. He beat Barada in front of his home crowd. Uh, there was Andy Bunting, myself, Tim Garner, I think, Pete's dad. Um, and it was a great story, actually, uh, Jerry. So, because obviously you play the, uh, the pyramids at night, it was the middle of the night when we got back to the hotel, probably one thirty. We had a few drinks and we went to the to the bar and had a bite to eat. And Andy, being the sponsor, picked up the tab, and then very selfishly said to us, "Look, um, I'll see you at the airport tomorrow." He said, "But I, I am going to tell you, I've been upgraded to first class." Like, not very good with pronunciation, but I never forget this guy's name. The Prince representative in in Egypt was a guy called Mr. Shabruishi. Okay. And he said, my friend Shabruishi has got me an upgrade. So we, we got to the airport the next day pretty early in the morning and he'd uh, got a nice car to take him there. And there he was at the front of the queue handing in his ticket to get his first class ticket. And we didn't see him after that. And oh. then when we got on the plane, the doors were just about to shut and Andy came marching in um, and had to walk, do the walk of shame past all the, all the players who were in the middle of the plane. He had to walk all the way down to the back of the plane where there was these two sort of fairly hefty Egyptian chaps. Um, and Andy was in the, in the seat in the corner in the window, had to get them up, put his bag up and get in the seat and everything. And 
we, we teased him the night before saying, well, Peter won the world. Surely he should be the one that's upgraded. No, no, I'm looking after myself. <laughs> obviously completely backfired. He's now in the worst seat in the economy. Oh, no. And we, in those days, the, the stewards and the stewardesses also had a sense of humour and weren't quite so politically correct. So I actually chatted with one of, one of the stewards and said, could you do a wind-up for me? And this guy said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And uh, he went back to Andy and said to Andy, okay, Mr. Bunting, I'm terribly sorry, there's been an awful mistake. You are actually in first class. <laughs> two happy Egyptians are now standing up, letting him out, getting his bag, and he's marching down the plane now. He's almost running to the front. Yeah. And of course, as, uh, as he got past us in the middle of the plane, we did a little slow hand clap. And he just turned around <laughs> and he went, you bastards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he went, went back to his seat and we sent him a bottle of champagne back down there. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he obviously uh, had a set, has a sense of humor then. Yeah? Wonderful sense of humor. His first wife, Jill, on his 50th birthday, we were in Barcelona. And she, um, she said to me, oh, here's a hundred pounds. Can you, can you take him out for the evening? Because he's going to miss his 50th back home. So I was with some players and a great players for wind up. Mark McLean. I think Adrian Davis was there. These, these guys are just such fun. And there was a big... Um, big uh, gypsy woman was selling roses as they do on the beach bars she wasn't overly attractive and didn't have uh, too many teeth <laughs> and he was quite homophobic he didn't like people touching him and you know he's a very old-fashioned kind of Lancastrian and um, so we got Mark McLean to go and buy all the flowers from her on the premise that she would come over and give Andy a big sloppy kiss on the lips for his birthday <laughs> awesome and he took, he took it so well Awesome. And then now, the other side of it, yeah. the other side of it, when you know, on the serious side, he was. This is really to illustrate how supportive he is of the players. Uh, when Johnny White had a match ball against Dave Palmer in Belgium in the World, World Open in Antwerp, um, basically the ball came back down the middle, and, and Johnny White decided instead of taking a stroke, like all good Australians, he decided to play. And he clipped the chin on their drop shot and ended up oh. losing the match. Yeah. And both Andy and I, because he was a Prince guy. We stayed up all night with Johnny White, just you know, trying to keep him amused and and keep his mind off the off the loss. And uh, you know, a few few beers in, he was you know, he was rolling with laughter because Andy was just so funny. And he was on fire that night just because I think he knew that uh, it was such a big uh, a big loss for him. Right. Yeah, I, I did notice on uh, I think it was Twitter, one one of those uh, social media sites, there was a picture of John and uh, Andy Bunting uh, together. So I, I figured there was some sort of uh, connection uh, there between the two of them uh, yeah. uh, obviously johnny's uh, uh, was a prince guy as well yeah yeah he was and uh, you know andy was very capable of uh, a really good communication to get the best out of the players you know he was he was a great listener as mm. well as uh, as well as a talker and i think that made him uh, quite outstanding um so he would oftentimes, uh, in the case of maybe if a player didn't have his actual coach with them, he, he would uh, would be in the corner uh, of yeah, some of these guys. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was, you know, he, he loved it. I mean, he mm. suddenly gone from being a, a paint specialist to, to a racket sport specialist. And, uh, you know, he had a treasure trove of, of Prince gear. We went to uh, Princeton University um, for a clinic with him with, with Peter, and then we went and did some R and D, racket development uh, 
in Princeton, um, which is where the, the racket company was based in those days. And, right. You know, he, we did a little tour there and he organised all of that for us. And it was in Peter's contract that he had to do, I think it was five or six exhibitions a year for Prince. Um, but Andy believed in Peter so, so much that uh, we were able to structure a, a deal. And it was probably the best racket deal ever. And, and Peter was very well paid, even if he was around the four in the world, because, you know, he was a sponsor's dream. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I'm sure um, Peter's not, uh, you're not, wouldn't be able to speak for Peter, but if, you know, if you could imagine what he would have to say about uh, Andy, what would you, uh, what would you say? Well, it's interesting, actually, because they, they were actually pretty close. And mm. Peter wasn't the best communicator in the early years. He's probably way better now um, with, with his experience. But, but, you know, him and Andy always got on extremely well. They played golf a lot together. Uh, we always had a lot of fun on the golf course. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Bunce, we used to call him Bunce. Bunce, Bunce yeah. was just watched Peter's, you know, really easy kind of uh, Ernie L swing and just be really jealous every time he hit the ball. Stop <laughs> <laughs> making it look so bloody easy. Yeah. He used to use the word bloody, he never would swear, but he would use the word bloody just for a little bit of exaggeration. <laughs> right, right. Now, I don't know whether you know, um, a little bit of the history of his of his kidney problems, do you? No, I don't. No. Okay, so um, he got this kidney uh, disease um, many years ago. Probably about uh, don't quote me on this, but it would probably be about twelve or thirteen years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a, a friend who was in the SAS in the Special Forces, and he hadn't spoken to him for a few years. And Andy was on dialysis, and pretty much without a kidney transplant, he would be gone. And uh, the reason I mention this is I spoke to his second wife, Jan, just before Andy died. And she was just very grateful that they had that, that time together. Because what happened was this guy, I can't remember his name. Um, and, and the way Andy tells it, it's just an incredible story that you couldn't believe it, he said, when he, when he rang me up and said. So this guy rings him up and says, how you doing, Andy? He said, well, I'm not doing very well, actually. He said, uh, unless I get a new kidney, I'm pretty much done. Mm. And the guy goes, <laughs> hadn't even ex exchanged pleasantries. He goes, I'll give you one of mine. Wow. <laughs> he goes, what? He goes, yeah, I'll give you one of mine. He said, well, don't you think you should talk to your wife? <laughs> and the guy goes, you're right, Andy. That's good advice. Puts the phone down, calls him back 30 seconds later. And she goes, he says, she's in. There's no oh. problem. <laughs> It's a ten, about a 10,000 to one chance of a match. And yeah. it was a match. And he wow. gave him his kidney. Wow, that's amazing. It was one of the most extraordinary stories ever. So that, that enabled him to, uh, to live on for several more years, obviously. Then. I think probably uh, 11 or 12 years, Jan was saying. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because um, his second wife, he brought her to mine and Robin's wedding. And I knew his first wife very well. They're both wonderful girls. And... Um, she didn't really know much about the squash because obviously he'd been he'd been finished with that for, for a number of years before um, he met her. And so it was nice because I was able to tell her a couple of the, the really nice stories uh, about Andy and, and about what he meant to the squash people. And uh, he was a great family man. And I, the other conversation every time he came to Connell was always an update on his kids and what they were doing, Lisa and Michael. Uh, mm -hmm. Two very special, special sons and daughters. You know, he was just very, very proud of them. And um, 
Mm. Yeah, it just would would involve you in his life um, to make everyone feel comfortable and you know tell them what was going on. Yeah, I guess I mean it. It, it speaks to just how uh, you know what an impact he had on the community and and the outpouring of uh, condolences and and, and uh, love for him over the last uh, last week or so. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now he's. Uh, I mean, there was one thing as well. You and I talked briefly just before we started. Was uh, his uh, his eye for talent, and it dates back. Uh, you were saying to uh, the days of uh, the Isles and the Martin brothers. Um, well, the Martin brothers and the Martin sister. Nothing to do yeah. with Michelle because uh, he was very instrumental in, in helping her. And I saw her. She did a little post on uh, on Facebook about him, and uh, you know he. he he was able to get on with everyone from all around the world. I think he particularly liked the Australians because mm-hmm. they have a very good um, diehard approach to sport. You know, well, it was Rodney that, that got that, uh, the, the old Prince uh, teardrop racket uh, brought that to fame, didn't he? He did. And then the extended two yeah. um, was Rodney Isles, isn't Even to the point where Rodney probably had two years left in his career. And I don't think he was, he didn't really want to. Um, go to the to the bigger headed racket he loved the extended two mm. so much to the point that he went online and he bought the remaining 12 rackets to see him out of his career <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and, he, um, it was synonymous with him yeah yeah and those, and those things are quite important because you know they were the company that was ahead of the game and there was a lot of work went into the racket development and uh, you know they were able to keep producing great products over the years and Peter, Peter was very instrumental in, in helping with that, particularly when the, uh, you remember the black print shoe came out? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that was huge back in the day. Yeah, yeah if, my, if my memory serves me well, um, the guy from Adidas who did the Adidas Gold, which was the triple, triple stripe uh, shoe in the 80s that was very expensive, he had the theory that the, that the, uh, the shoe, he then went to print, he had the theory that the shoe should be a little bit wider um, when, when the foot lands and pronates which gave you a greater sense of balance. So, you know, all this was going on uh, at, the, at the same time as, you know, us, us working with, with the Prince people. Right, right. And um, so it was after, uh, after the Martin brothers, of course, uh, Isles, and then he, he had an eye for Peter, and then the, the list goes on, sort of. He, he went, uh, James Wilstrup was with Prince. Uh, yes. And then he, he, even uh, Rami Asher, when he was 15, 16, obviously, uh, we all knew he was going to be great, but uh, I mean, he saw it. Uh, he saw it first, or saw it early. Yeah, and he did. He had an eye for talent. I think you know the coaching side of things for him back in uh, in Cambridge. Uh, he was also, I think, coach instructor. So you know, he knew uh, an incredible amount about the game. He loved to talk about the game and talk about players. Um, yeah. But for the support, you know, for, it was actually interesting because there were three people who supported Peter in exactly the same way. The first guy was uh, was Ron Clark, the great Australian runner from the 60s, who was our uh, boss at uh, Cannons Club. Okay. He, he sponsored Peter for, uh, you know, for um, some airfares to get him started. And um, then we signed a deal with Andy. And then there's a guy called John Williams who became very good friends with Andy as well. Uh, he ran an Audi VW dealership in the Old Kent Road. And he sponsored Peter with a car. Okay. Um, and up to that point, he sponsored Chris Dittmar, who was then the world number two, who also played with Cannons. But when Chris decided to uh, to finish, um, he, he invested in Peter as well. And all three of them did it when Peter was really, really young. 
Mm-hmm. So they were pretty unanimous in their in their assessment that Pete was going to be was going to be really good. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, obviously for Pete. For yeah, Peter, no this would have been a, a tremendous uh, loss for him. Although he he probably knew uh, uh, Andy w- was not well, anyways, leading up to uh, yes. when he passed. Yes, and Pete Pete's not um, particularly good at hospitals. He lost his mum very early. Okay, and, uh, yeah. he found it very difficult to deal with people with illness. But I know him and Tim went to see Andy, um, you know, the previous couple of weeks before he died, mm-hmm. and that would have that would have meant the world to Andy for sure. Absolutely. Well, well, Neil, I really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us uh, some background and some insight into into uh, Andy and, and what a, an impact he's had on, on the, the, the squash community. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, it's um, it's just one of those things. You know, as you get older, you're going to lose more more people. But uh, yeah, you know, well, we lost a good one in Nova Scotia as well uh, recently, didn't we? We did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But, um, you know, Andy, Andy was just that, uh, that hidden gem, that jewel, who, who was just very, uh, very functional in the way he went about his business, um, but was ge- just gently guiding you through it. And he helped, he helped me definitely to be a better businessman and a better coach and a better mentor and a better manager, for sure. Right. Well, that, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, that matter of fact, uh, getting things out of the way early, uh, I mean, I've had a few, uh, a few of your... X charges on the uh, on the podcast, uh, Lawrence Angemo uh, being one, and uh, you know they all say you know basically that's that's what uh, what the beauty of uh, working with you was. You knew ex- they knew exactly what you wanted right from the get go. Well, and Andy was a great sounding board. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of making that up as I went along. I'd only just come off the tour and started coaching, and uh, you know, he was always there. We would. We would have long phone conversations um, if he wasn't down at Connell. I would probably speak to him every couple of days. Um, so as a, as a mentor, as an older person, I looked up to him um, and, and was able to just, he was able to impart so much knowledge without really, um, without really meaning to or, or being seen to be doing it. And that's what I loved about him. Right. Well, uh, again, thanks a lot, uh, Neil, for sharing uh, sharing this with us. And um, just want to give you the opportunity. I know you have um, the Stella Rose, which is your bed and breakfast in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, Wolffield, Nova Scotia, a beautiful spot. And uh, how are things going there? It's been uh, at least two years now since you opened, I think. Yep, just coming up two years at the end of April. Um, we've fallen in love with the valley. I mean, you're, you're well, from here. Just, uh, that's beautiful down there. It's just a stunning place, and and it's on the up. We've got another four wineries of four vineyards have opened uh, since we've been here. Okay. And what I like—they they, about they knew place, you were coming. <laughs> well, they know we like wine, so probably. <laughs> but I love the uh, I love the mix between Acadia students yeah. and the town. It's a it's a really good fit, yeah. and the town embraces the students and vice versa, and then of course. From about you know convocation weekend onwards, we start to get all the all the tourists, and we've we've had a lot of people from the states, and we've had a lot of people from out west, um, who, who have suddenly found out that you know the Maritimes is is a is a fantastic place to come and visit. Yeah, we 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 call it little little Garden of Eden here. It really is, and we met some fantastic people. Um, you know, got got friendly with a lot of the businesses, and it, it's a it reminds me a bit of the squash days where it's a big team effort. Everyone's really pulling hard for each other. We all help each other. 
and yeah. recommend each other. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be part of that little team as well, you know. Absolutely. Um, now, if the, if anyone is interested, uh, they would just go to, I guess, do you have a, a home, a website or? A... Yeah. So just, I mean, if you just type in B&Bs in, in, uh, in Wolfville, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll come up. It's the Stella Rose B&B. It's named after the previous owner's mum, Stella and Rose. So that's kind of quite nice as well. Yeah. Um, and the website is the Stella Rose, S-T-E-L-L-A-Rose.com. And, 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 I get, and I gather, from, uh, at least uh, from what I hear, uh, there's someone on site who does all the cooking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he actually got voted the best breakfast in Nova Scotia, so I was pretty pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And the way we're a bit different is we don't just have a set menu. We, we try and do individual breakfast for our guests. So if you fancy some eggs, Benny, or smoked salmon, Benny, and someone else wants a, an omelette or a you know, an English muffin or whatever. We try and, well, we do, we cater to, to their needs and we suggest things that they wouldn't normally cook for themselves. And that, that keeps it fresh for me and keeps it quite exciting. My, my passion is cooking. So, you know, that, that works well. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, you sound like, uh, like you'd sound like you be the, 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 the ultimate uh, host there, Neil. So, uh, well, we love it. Yeah. I wish well, I, I had, uh, as I mentioned, I almost made it there last summer, but... Uh, I'll try. I'll try. If I head there this summer, I'll try to uh, drop in for a bit well, of. You, uh, you, you can meet our new puppy because we lost our labs either side of Christmas. Oh, okay. We have um, we have a, a new puppy. He's a Bermadoodle, and his okay. name's Chico Ray. So Spanish oh. for boy, Chico, and Ray right. after Ray Tushiro. So. Chico Ray. Okay. All right. So kept, All right. We kept the name going. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, just uh, just quickly in terms of uh, squash, are you still? Uh, I know you you kind of stepped away there from from coaching a bit. Uh, are you still involved at all uh, with squash Nova Scotia or any of your? Uh, I know you used to to go to the U.S. and do camps and stuff like that. Uh, how's that yeah, going? So I've stayed local. I've got a very bad back at the moment, and I'm rushing okay. it. Um, but we got Douglas through. He got a bronze medal. Yeah. In Canada, the first. Um, a racket athlete to get a, an individual medal. So we're very pleased with that. He's got a, he's got a, a visit with the prime minister in a week and a half's time to go. Oh, great. See okay. him. So that's really cool. Um, Janet obviously runs a really good program out of the Kentville court. So, yep. you know, she was able to take those kids. They all performed really well. They had a great Canada games. And then I'm still very involved with, with Matt and, and a few of the other guys up in Halifax you know, every year nationals comes around, and, and Matt's been able to win the nationals a few times. So well, Matt pulled know, off a huge one uh, last year. I mean, uh, he yeah. beat uh, Ian Power there in, in the final of the. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. that's. Uh, uh, un, uh, we've never seen that really from from a Nova Scotia-born uh, squash player. So uh, huge, no. huge uh, props to you and, and to him for that. Well, it's just ra- it's just raising the not the expectation level, but the the fact that if you do work hard in a certain way, you will get, you know, different results that you never thought perhaps you could do. Yeah. I think people in Nova Scotia, at least when I was a junior, it was just uh, so much complacency and so much sort of a foregone uh, conclusion that, oh, we we can't compete with, uh, with Ontario, BC and Quebec, but uh, you know, with the right mindset, obviously, and and you need, you need the talent. Matt's a great talent, but uh, you also with, with a bit of hard work, uh, I think you can overcome those obstacles. Well, and you look at you look at the Jinx family as well. You know they yeah. they've um, they've done extremely well. Connor won a nationals, 
Emma Jinx won three nationals, and yeah. it's just giving them the confidence that their ability with, with the combination of the hard work, they could do really, really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been, that's been really exciting. You know, to have a, a kind of a second career in squash here um, has, been, has been very motivating. All right. Well, well, Neil, thank you so much. Uh, great to have you back on the podcast. Like I said earlier, uh, you were um, my very first guest on episode one. We're up to episode 80 now, unbelievably. Yeah, that's so, right. I listen, uh, I listen to them all. They're, they're fantastic. And thank you. It's great, great to hear all those, uh, all those insights. I mean, anyone that listens to these, these podcasts is going to get a lot of, a uh, lot, lot of knowledge out of the squash. It's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Now there, there are quite a, there are, well several uh, squash podcasts out there now. So it's it's a it's good uh, good for the the squash community. You've got Nick uh, Nick Matthew has one, Selby has one with Cameron Pilly, and uh, there are a couple others out there. So it's yeah, all, yeah, congratulations, so huge, Jerry, putting this together. It's a it's a great idea, and it's a, a lot of information being shared. So keep up the good work, mate. Cheers, buddy. Thank okay. you. Well, thanks, Neil, for sharing those uh, those wonderful memories of Andy. Uh, and um, just on behalf of the In Squash podcast and uh, the squash community, uh, I'd like to uh, just say to Andy, uh, rest in peace. Thank you all for listening, and have a great day. Goodbye now.